0: With me in my foul life.
1: Foul Life audience, what's up? Back at you. This is Chad. Another episode of the Foul Life podcast. Today's episode, as always, brought to you by our friends at Gerber Gear. Stay sharp, America. Get your knife out, cut some meat off of the bone, build a boat blind, get some concealment on one of those pea fields. Uh, I would say in Saskatchewan, but we're not allowed to go there this year. So maybe we will do it on a cornfield in North Dakota or some sugar beach right outside of Billings, Montana on the Yellowstone River. I love hunting mallard ducks up there. I hope you guys are having a great kickoff to the season. Today's episode of the podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Nutrient Ag Solutions. This is how America grows. This is what farmers are all about. Ranchers are all about sustainability, cropland, America, starting up a combine. I often think about how many farmers Farmers are starting their days when we're still cuddled up with our pillows at four in the morning, five in the morning out here west. They've already been working for two, three hours in Canada, and it just gets me so fired up to know that they are so dedicated to taking care of that land and manicuring it and making sure that it produces the crops and the yields that they need to not just make revenue streams for their families, but to produce the food that America depends on. So please check out Nutrien Ag Solutions and all of their products and services and what they provide to not just us as human beings and consumption of our food, but to wildlife of all different populations and variety. My guest today is, I I think you kind of are in charge of North American operations, Mr. Jeff Tarsi, VP of North American operations. Is there a better way that I can say what you are to the nutrient ag solutions uh, culture and infrastructure?
0: no I think you did a uh, you did a pretty good job on a day to day basis uh, I am responsible for all of our retail operations in North America and so obviously that's the u s and then uh, our operations in Canada which from a retail perspective uh, are primarily in western Canada and uh, so you know basically you got Probably two hundred and fifty roughly retail locations in in canada and, and, and just over nine hundred in the u s so we got a lot going on on a daily basis and uh it's a lot to look over on any given day
1: are you a do you come from a farming background yourself or I assume your education was in some type of of you know agricultural background that some of our a lot a lot of our campuses across the country do offer but do you come from any actual
0: american farming roots yourself i do i I, you can probably listeners can probably detect i have a very uh, thick southern accent uh kind of a little bit of a story behind that i i I grew up in cleveland mississippi which is in the heart of the mississippi delta and uh about two hours south of, of memphis uh, I'm the grandson of, of, uh, of Italian immigrants, uh, however, and, uh, and so we grew up in a, you know, with around a couple, 200 Italian families there in the Mississippi Delta. We grew up, both of my grandparents farmed and, and my dad farmed and, uh, and, and my grandmothers, uh, owned, uh, dry goods stores, uh, in that area. And I love to farm. And I went to college, uh, I majored in agricultural economics at Mississippi State University. I had no intent getting out of college of doing anything but farming. And uh, I graduated in 1985. And and just looking at you on screen, you're probably not old enough to remember 1985. It was a horrendous time in agriculture, uh, probably as bad as since the depression. And uh, commodity prices were horrible. And uh, there was a grain embargo on rice. I grew up on a rice, cotton, and soybean farm uh, in Mississippi. And uh, so when I graduated and I, I studied ag business, ag economics, I, I, I did the math myself and I just didn't feel like it was a place for me on the farm. And uh, I got out and went. Went. I started my career with BASF and I uh, spent the first 11 to 12 years with those guys before getting into the uh, retail input side of the business. So my roots are in 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 agriculture. My whole life, uh, I still miss farming. Every spring, when the tillage starts, I get that desire to to want to be out. And uh, I I do absolutely the next best thing to farming with the company and that be, that I work with today, with Nutrient Ag Solutions, and, and being a uh, input and solution provider for our customers. And when you hear hear somebody say the words
1: solution, you know, coming up with solutions, problem solving. That's one of the main key parts of the and business model is being able to help that family solve a problem or make something easier, make something more profitable, make something more productive. When you start talking about years like 1985, and I I was young, but I was alive, and I do remember a lot of the good parts of the 80s. You hear a lot of things, and President Reagan's in office, and you also have a a huge, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on worldwide. You very rarely hear anybody talk about that that was a terrible agricultural year for America. With that being said, Jeff, um, my dad was a union plumber. When it came time to be laid off as a union plumber, our family suffered. The income goes away, unemployment starts. It was a it was a it was a hard time for our family. Right as you encountered your grandfather's and your dad and all of the customers that you talk to on a daily basis, how how much distress play a role in the mindset of an American farmer? You gotta you gotta have rain. You gotta have government sustainability. You gotta have some you know stuff help, and you gotta have recovery programs. It, do these men that seem so Free and so just hey, we're living off the land, and we're relaxed, and we love petting our, our dogs and eat drinking our coffee with our wives in the morning on a big porch. There's got to be a lot of stress that comes with it, isn't there?
0: Well, there is, and and I always say that number one, we're we're very fortunate in in North America. Uh, I, I think that we have that that our our customers and our farmers are just tremendous at what they do. They they really do an exceptional job on a, on maximizing their yields and their efforts on a, buy, on a per acre basis with it. But look, there's a lot of stress that comes with that. And I always say that, that farmers are internal optimists. And look, I've had the luxury of working all over the world when it pertains to agriculture. I've spent a lot of time in South America, Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Uruguay, uh, Australia, New Zealand, and you know, it doesn't matter what geography you come from. A farmer is a farmer. When you when you get the accents different, as mine is different from when you go into the Midwest, and it's different when you go to Australia. But how those guys think and and their internal optimism is always the same, and 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 how they handle stress. And and look, it's a agriculture is a stressful business, and uh, I don't make light of that at all, but. The, the, like you said when you started the show, these, these guys start their mornings before daylight uh, a lot a lot of months of the year, and they and they shut their night they shut their evenings off after dark uh, a lot of months of the year, and they just put so much work and blood sweat and tears into what they do. And but the biggest thing is the pride they take in what they do. You know, if you think about it, what more fulfilling job can you have? then when you wake up every morning and you go to work and it's your responsibility to help feed all the human beings on this planet. And uh, I just can't think of anything more fulfilling. And I, I feel that way in what I do. Uh, and, and I think that my organization feels the same way that we, we play a big role in assisting that producer with, with helping him to produce his yields and to solve his problems and create the solutions that, that he's looking for to, to meet the demands that, that we have for food and, and for food and fiber and, and all the different things out there that are involved with with agriculture. But but yeah, there's a lot of stress and think about this. I, I, use, this, I use this quite a bit when I'm talking to people outside of our industry. I, and I'll use a southern team, but I say we're not the Dallas Cowboys. We do not have a retractable roof over our business. Our roof is open 24-7, and we get up in the morning, you know, an hour later from what we start with, there can be drastic differences, and most days there are, and so there's so many variables that, that our customers have to deal with, and so many variables that that my team has to deal with in providing those solutions. With it, It's truly a unique business. I think you would agree, being an outdoorsman and such, just, just how unique it is. And what a challenge
1: it is! I, I can see, like that's the word that comes to mind the most is challenge. And where I where I want to go with that, Mister Jeff is. We duck hunt, which has a huge bit you know we depend on farmers just in the nature of our business, in the nature of our livelihood in the nature of our culture, and what we do to to see mallard ducks or Canada geese do what they do, or speckle bellies over a rice field in the sacramento delta or or any anything that we get to do, farming plays a role in a whitetail and a turkey and a rote and a predator and a duck and a goose it 's crazy the challenges that come with getting that crop to the way it is and it seems like evolution has become so evident in farming i'd say over the last in my opinion over the last decade with the way combines work now and the way planting goes and the way that the harvest rolls and the way that that nut guys can get the almonds and the walnuts off the trees now it's crazy compared to what it was 10 15 years ago in your opinion jeff when you go and you talk to a duck hunter tradition is everything it's hard sometimes to break that that oil skin jacket, that oil cloth jacket that grandpa wore. I don't need all that new age camouflage and those breathable waders. I'm going like I did. It's like traditional. The sense of tradition is everything in waterfowling. A lot of people look down on the spinning wing decoy because they don't think that it's a traditional sense of getting ducks in close. In farming, have you encountered that a lot to where a lot of these families are so old school and they're so traditional in the generational because farming is so generational, probably more so than any other business venture in the world passed down from generation to generation. Have you seen it as this younger generation comes in that they're they're like just ready to go with this new age technology and the software and all of these implementations that a company like nutrient ag
0: solution specializes in? man look it's it's it it's amazing when you look at the demographics and and what the adoption is for this new technology first of all there 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 are very few people farming today that that aren't using advanced technology and and I tell people this I think that agriculture is one of the most advanced technologies in the world as far as as how it all happens today and how it comes together and you know just things like, you know, that 10 or 15 years ago, we could not have even imagined that, you know, you don't have to steer a tractor today and, uh, and that we can take global satellite imagery and, and either, either determine where pests are or predict and use a predictive model to determine when they're going to occur with it. But the young, and, and I think that, I think, it, 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 I, I'm, I tell people this a lot as I go around, the country in North America and when I travel globally, I think this technology, one of the brightest spots for this technology is the fact that it has attracted young people back to the farm. You know, if, if, if I thought about it when I was on the farm, I could have had an idea of how we want, we were planting cotton and the depth that you planted that seed was very critical. And and I can remember that it, it didn't matter what I thought it was going to be two joints on your index finger was how deep you were going to plant that, that cotton seedling because that's what my grandfather did. And, and that traditionally, that's just the way you did it. And, and today, it, it changes by the hour because there's so many analytics that we can use. That might have been fine that we planted it two, two joints on your index finger on a sandy loam soil but when we got to the heavy end of the field, that, that depth needed to be adjusted and it needed to be planted deeper because it wasn't as much moisture. Well, today our equipment will adjust on the fly, on the go. It, you, you can plant a seed one depth at, on one end of the row. You can plant it five different depths on the same row if, if, you're, if you've if you got it properly identified and you've mapped that field accordingly and such. And so Th- th- this technology is attracted younger people back to the farm. But I'm going to tell you, it just doesn't stop with young people. Uh, look, a lot of my friends, my best friends today, all farm and uh, back in the area that I'm from. And look, what, what they use their iPhone for today and, and what they most of them have a, a tablet mounted on their dash where they're, they're watching where their tractors are running, they're looking at the miles per hour they're running, they're looking at the depth that they're, if they're plowing if they're, or if they're seeding or if they're harvesting the speed and how much yield is coming in at any point in time, it's absolutely amazing. And uh, it's, it's got it where we can we can be so much more predictive uh, on what our outcomes are going to be. But I, I'll also end, end this piece of it by saying this, you always say, is it art or science? Okay. Science plays a big, big part of it today. And analytics plays a big, big part of it, but there's still in agriculture. There's a part of it. That's art. You know, there's a part of it of following your gut. And that's where that, that that's where that, those instincts come from. And, and they're passed down, you know, over generations and, and, and such with it. So, and I think that part will always play some part, uh, It sure makes it fun.
1: Do you often think about what, uh, on a personal level of where I get to travel and you mentioned Uruguay, Paraguay, all over Argentina. I've hunted all over that area, Peru, Chile, obviously you can't hunt in Brazil. Very cool, very cool place though in South America, but continental United States, the Canadian provinces, the one consistent attribute, personality trait that I've learned through my association with what you do, Jeff, and what you in the customer base that Nutrient Ag Solutions specializes in is the word modesty. Being modest as farmers, you could do a lot of things that would be that would take away from the end goal you could not manage your time right you could be stingy with your because you're your own boss you could go do whatever you want one you you yield something very high on one year like almonds last year compared to this year somebody goes out and buys a yacht and goes out to the the, the mediterranean and just sells all over italy and the Almafi coast and they're like oh man this is living I don't see that a lot amongst farmers. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't that fair share that have earned it and they're doing some of that, but does modesty play a huge role in being able to stay rooted and not, no pun intended, but staying grounded, staying rooted, staying part of that land? And one of the best quotes I ever heard was by an Iowa farmer named Dom Brothers, who we've showcased in our TV show several times. He said, this isn't my land. This isn't my family's land. I just get to work it for a while and do the best that I can with it and then put it up on the shelf for the next guy when that next guy comes in there i want him or her or that family to know this land was taken care of the right way that is so humble and so modest that this isn't even my land this is god's creation and i was just picked to work it do you see that consistently
0: across the board with your customers and family yes i do on on a large large scale i do and look it you you have to stay modest in in agriculture because you can be humbled so quickly uh just when you think you know it all or just when you think you really understand how something works, uh, something can happen might not be of any control whatsoever. and most times it's not within your control. It could be a trade agreement, uh, it could be a La Nina weather pattern forming. Uh, we, we dealt with over 10 hurricanes in the Gulf of Mexico this year. Since I've been in this business, I've never in, I've been 35 years in this business. I've never encountered that. And those guys that still had crops out there, thats nothing they did wrong. Uh, But, you know, where they're getting continually pounded and were hit down through Alabama, this last last cotton left to pick, and a lot of it got damaged out there. You can get get humbled so quickly. And so it just doesn't allow for you to be anything but modest. But I think that growers and producers just – just by nature, or that way, because they realize all the things that have to go right in a given year for it all to work out. And again, it's, uh, there's a lot of years that, that, that going out to Vegas and throwing dice on the crap table might be better odds. <laughs> if you're one of those guys that had cotton crops sitting down in Alabama this year, that very well might be the case. You know, Each time you get four or five hurricanes in one distinct area there. But, but I think you have to stay grounded that way. And again, I, I mentioned the, the commitment, the responsibility that, that growers feel. And that's that's not just to produce the yields that they produce. That's to to also take care and preserve our planet. I mean, you, you just don't find any greater conservationists out there in some people sometimes might look at that differently, but they're no great conservationists, and you know that if you if you're using those lands to to waterfowl hunt on and things like that, that's all conservation. Uh, it takes a lot of work to set those things up like that, and uh, you know if I look at how cover crops have come back into importance now, and the part they play on soil health and and the things they do as well for for wildlife. Uh, turkeys and, and, and quail and things like that. It's uh it's 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 amazing to me. It's it's a big buy-in that these guys have and and they do all wanna leave this place in a better place than they found it in. And we want we want in nutrient ag solutions, we want to be a big part of that as well. We feel like we carry that responsibility to help educate our customer and the growers on what are the best things we can do to preserve the soil and to preserve the land and, and, and preserve nature and wildlife that's associated with it. It's very important to us. Uh, I can't
1: imagine a better college course or a better even elementary, middle school or high school course that just would would take a semester or two based on what you just said the last two minutes. If you think about the approach that farmers take with modesty and humility and risk and savings and saving something for a rainy day and love of the land and passion. And then you have the absolute self-starting and driven and all of the things that go into the entrepreneurial spirit of America without ever taking a business course in your, in your experiences, Mr. Jeff, do you see and where I, I see a huge difference in, in kids today of the way they're being educated, the way that they're not playing outside. Like if, if I wasn't catching horny toads or blueberry lizards or catching a trout, my day wasn't complete. If I wasn't skinning my knee on the dirt or stacking firewood or splitting logs with dad, something was wrong. We were never, ever inside. And that's changed today. Has it changed in the farming community, in your opinion, the way that farming families are raising their kids for the next generation? Or is that one area of our community in our society in this country that we can depend on that things are still staying real and still staying relative to the way they're supposed to be in my
0: opinion i think that's probably one one area that that you don't see that change in because look work the work is never com you, you know that work is never completed on a farm there, there, there's not any hour of any day that there's not something you can be doing on a farm and uh and, and so and, and look, labor, labor, it, uh, that's one of the problem areas uh, with our growers today. I think a lot of our growers would even even maybe choose to be even bigger than they are in some cases if it wasn't for the difficulty in finding labor. So a lot of these families are using their kids. They're, 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 there's no gender uh, preferences on a farm, uh, uh, nor in our business. Uh, husbands wives daughters it doesn't make any difference uh everyone pitches in and works on these farms and look i'm i'm guilty of the same thing when, when i think about it i i grew up on a farm and both grandparents farming uh, you know when the time i was eight years old i was in the field all day and uh and and i've always told people this the greatest gift that my father ever gave me and he he's deceased now but the greatest thing he ever gave me was he taught me how to work. And I mean, he taught me how to work hard. And, uh, and every job I ever had since I left the farm was the easiest job I ever had. <laughs> and so it's uh, that that's the great thing. And look, for like my kids and, and me being raised that way, but in the career I had and in, in being raised in, in the city and not on the farm, I, I didn't get to expose my kids to that kind of work uh I wanted to but i I didn't get to and uh but I talked about it an awful lot and my you know my wife and I set examples you know for working hard because we we're, we're two very hard working people on it but if I'd had my preference, I would have much much rather have have taught them those things out on the farm because uh you can use them you know, that 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 school of hard knocks, that can be used in any industry. I don't care which industry it is uh, on it. Do you think that your kids would have had an
1: easier time understanding? Because my pops always said the same thing. He's deceased too now, but he always said you're put on this earth to work. Your work ethic is what you got. Yes, family is everything but you got to provide for that family and you cannot provide for them the correct way without a work ethic and and i and i the more the older i get and the m- more mature i get mr jeff i see it more and more every day of what work ethic means and how easy that is to get away today when we have an instant babysitter with this tablet or we have we can get away and you, you go on the road for a certain amount of time and you have a your wife there raising the kids my question is Would it have been easier to raise them work ethic wise to instill that on the farm? Did it, do you think it was more difficult when you got away from the farm, you still work your butt off every day for nutrient and you're growing this livelihood for your family and taking care of them. But did you guys have a a more difficult time instilling work ethic based on just being able to tell stories of the farm and not actually being on the farm? I I
0: think, I think so is, is, is getting a, uh, you know, because the, the the best live example is is uh being out being out in a rice paddy at, in uh, July and it, it's hundred degrees and there's no air blowing and and, and uh, you know, water it, it, there's, it's hard to explain that to somebody with a shovel on your back it's it's really hard to explain to somebody what that's like and and how you make it through each day like that so to be able to replicate that is difficult but again if you set the right examples and, and look, I don't work hard physically these days. Uh, not, not, not like I did on a farm. Uh, I have to work hard mentally, uh, probably even more so, but, but, uh, but being able to set that example, uh, is, is so important with these kids. And, and I think that that in storytelling, uh, about life on the farm if I look today, my oldest uh, daughter Elizabeth's finishing her last year of residency as an OBGYN, and Elizabeth works eighty to ninety hours a week so I got no no qualm that that she knows how to work hard and not only does she work hard but she works under a lot of stress and uh, and that makes me really proud and then my middle child is is an architect in Nashville today and he he's he's uh working and and taking his test to be licensed. And and I see what he puts into that. And again, I, I think the examples you set by, by both myself and my wife, uh, and and she came from a hardworking family as well. You just can't put a value on that, in my opinion. And, and you have to work. You have to work at finding things. That's what I told somebody. What do I do? Tell them to go mow the yard four times today to kind of replicate what a day on the farm is like. On it. it, it is tough uh, on it. But I'll say this for the, for the younger generation as well: is a lot of them know how to work a lot smarter than I do. Uh, in other words, I I might I might put ten hours to do something that it might not take them but six hours to do because, in in their culture today and the tools that they have access to, they they might figure out a way to do it better uh, than than I did. And my kids tell me that all the time uh on it and i said look i'm proud for you if you figured that out i'm i'm really i'm really tickled for you but you do have to i, I i'll tell you this uh, i wasn't a I, I was not a great student in in high school uh not not good at all and uh because all i want to do is farm every day in college i made a little bit better grades but nothing that you would want to write home about but i can tell you this very rarely in my 35-year career did I ever work next to somebody that I didn't think I could outwork, at least work as hard as. And I always felt like that gave me—that was my advantage. That, that thats what advantage I felt like I had. It wasn't brains uh, on it, but it was just being able to work hard and knowing knowing what working hard meant on it. And uh, so, yeah, and that—and that's a—that's still today. Even with all of this technology, that's still the backbone of the farming operations, whether you're in Canada or the United States, uh, you know, again, down in Argentina, Brazil, or Australia. Those guys work hard every day, sunup, sundown. They just do it in a bigger way today than they used to
1: so when a duck hunter is traveling through saskatchewan or alberta or manitoba or if a city dweller is driving behind a truck that has a, wi- a sticker, a, de- a window decal on the back of it that says the and with the green and the blacks and the whites um if that duck hunter is driving through the prairie lands of canada and he sees a sign of a of a retail location or some of your offices like i have so many time and they've even become more evident since i formed this relationship and partnership with Nutrien ag solutions i stop in i say hello i drop off hats But my question, Mr. Jeff, is that guy that might not be as ingrained or engulfed in the farming community or agriculture or crops or hunting or outdoors or sustainability or anything that goes into your daily mindset, what does that word mean? What does that brand mean? What would they look at a Wikipedia definition of nutrient ag solutions and within your answer, does work ethic play a vital role in that definition that you expect and demand a work ethic out of everybody that signs on that line to become a part of that business and a part of that culture and brand of nutrient as an employee?
0: Yeah, I mean I when I when I see when I see that name, I I think, and of course I'm prejudiced when it comes to this, but I think a best in class in what we do on a day to day basis. And that's that's serve our customer with with the with his needs both from an input standpoint and information standpoint, um, to to strive to get the most out of the land that 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 can be gained in order to produce cropping and yields that go out to feed the world. And uh, it's very important to us as we go through that process and create those solutions that that we're doing it in a very responsible. And a sustainable way, uh, uh, both for for our customer and and those that inhabit our planet uh, on a day to day basis. The other thing I think that a lot of people maybe not associate would associate is all the different parts of our platform that, that we have. You know, we we provide seed, we provide crop chemistry, we provide nutrient N P and K and micronutrients that it takes to balance these soils out to produce these crops. We provide application of these products, whether it's to crop chemistry or whether it's the nutrients that are being applied. We provide financing with nutrient financial services uh, for these growers. That's one of the most difficult parts of the farming operation today is being able to secure financing. When I was a kid, the banks, the local banks did all of that financing. Today that's not the case, and Nutrien provides a large, large part of that financing uh, with, with that with that grower, and then and then it also is it, it's when you look at our digital portal that we have, and our customers today are our agronomists. They, they can order off of their phones. Uh, they can look up vital information as it relates to that acre of soil or or to three components or parts of that acre of the soil to help make faster decisions on what seed we're gonna plant, what germ plasm, what maturities, what trait packages that we're gonna plant that, that, that will maximize yield and, and profit on a per acre basis. It's all about ROI. And, and I've always said this what to our people, I say it on a daily basis, if we make our customers successful, we'll be successful in what we're doing. And let me tell you, our hours run right with the growers. Uh, They run right with the growers. You know, we're today. You know, as I speak across the Midwest, we've got some actually favorable weather uh, across those corn-producing states, and uh, we're applying we're applying P and K, uh, potash and phosphates. Uh, We're knifing in anhydrous ammonia today, and we'll go some of those rigs. We might run all night tonight. is because we got a very narrow window normally to get this stuff done uh, with it. And so we, we, we play a vital part. So when they look, I'd rather them look at a crop and look at what's taking place on that, on that field and then associating that with nutrient ag solutions and their ability to provide those inputs for that grower so that he can then take it and produce what you're seeing visibly from a cropping standpoint. And then as
1: you take it a step further of the services and products that Nutrien provides, and I'm talking like some really like in-depth things of farm management. That's what I see on it is like there is such an advantage, and I do want to get into the word competition in in a second, but – a step further, Mr. Jeff Tarsi, is what does that crop actually become that we may take for granted on a daily basis from a hamburger bun to a Wendy's French fry to a Budweiser beer to a Jack Daniels highball to a the best filet mignon that you could eat raised on the best, whether it was corn or wheat or, you know, these different high protein diets that our beef is being fed deer farms. Now, deer antler growth is all based on nutrition of these crops and these 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 different mixtures and these proprietary blends. Um, Think about as Americans only, just this continental United States. Take Hawaii and Alaska out of it even. We're talking 48 states continentally here. What do we take for granted on a daily basis as we drive by these farmlands and these rural areas of what they are actually doing? It's almost like my whole view on 18 Wheelers that oh my gosh, they just take up the road and they take forever to climb an incline and I'm like no, they are literally moving America for us. This is how our supply and demand chain is routed through our through our areas of this country I, I try to look at everything in a way like that of what is that cropland and that farm actually doing in the big picture we don't go anywhere in this country without farming and at, without ranching and that's kind of the point of what i want to be the a, a small a small voice of mr jeff is like look at what farmers are doing daily to ensure that our families are taken care of it's easy to take that for granted would you agree
0: it is, and look, when I when I think about it, you know, the, the things I think we take for granted, I know we take for granted, is that, number one, we got one of the safest food supplies in the world, okay? So when you're looking out and driving by and, and analyzing what these guys are doing, you can go to bed at night and you can feel comfortable that you have a very, very safe food chain. And you, whether you're feeding your infants on up to near the end of life, from an age standpoint on it, you've got safe and good food that's high in protein, uh, with it. Uh, while those crops are growing, those crops are sequestering carbon, which is a big, you know, phrase word today is carbon sequestration. And, and so those crops are, are, are capturing carbon out of, out of the air, which is, is making for a more green environment and, and a, and a better a better and more suitable planet um i always think when you step out the shower in the morning what's the first thing you grab a towel okay or when you step in a shower what's the first thing you grab a wash rag well there's about a 98 percent chance that that's made out of cotton it's made out of fiber uh when when you get dried off and you get dressed and you pull a pair of blue jeans on that's made out of cotton uh on it, And so I, I like to spend time when, when I have time, I like to go into the school systems and I like to educate the kids. And I don't mean high school kids. You got to start early with these kids and some of these STEM programs, you know, first, second, third grade. And, and so because these kids today, because so such a small part of our population now has ever come from a farm. Most people don't even realize where their food came from. Most people don't realize those blue jeans what went in and, what went in that blue jean to produce it. Uh, and so I love going to schools and and, and, and telling that story. Uh, you know, if you look at California uh, and, and you look at some some of the counties out there uh, in California they grow over two hundred and seventy crops in in one county. Uh, just amazing. And and how much of our food comes from that state, whether it's your almonds, your peaches, your pears, your apples, your grapes, and those type things, your rice, right,
1: right, your olives. I mean it's nonstop. Honey,
0: tomatoes, olives, like you just said. It's absolutely amazing uh what's produced and the technology that's used over there to, to produce those crops. But we do I, I think we probably – look, they've always come – I don't want to say the word they've come easy for us, but if we compare it to some other countries, they, it's come pretty easy for us to clothe ourselves and to feed ourselves. And so we likely do take it a bit for granted in how all of that, how all of that occurs and just what goes into making – when you walk in your grocery store, and, and you see that fresh produce you know do you realize that just in some in some instances just 24 hours ago it was in the field that's how fresh it is and that's how great the technology is once it's harvested to take flash freeze it or chill it and get it straight to the grocery store all those strawberries now year-round uh, that that we can enjoy and that are good for our diets you know as well uh, on just just amazing, really amazing when you stop and think about it. Personally,
1: Mr. Jeff Tarsi, do you, do you experience the peaks and the valleys with all of your farming friends and customers that you know personally? Like for example, highest yields in a long, long time in almonds and almonds, whatever you wanna call them. You gotta get it right in a lot of instances when you're out in California. Yeah, Highest yield in lots of years, but lowest buy price in a lots of years. Do you feel that hit with them? How personal do you wear it on the chin? And then how personal do you raise your hands in celebration and toast that cold beer at the local bar, which is a great part of the farming community of being able to go to a bake sale or a fair or a parade back pre-COVID this year, and hopefully we're back there sooner than later. But how much do you personally wear it and take it on the chin with the the highs and the lows?
0: For me personally, I wear it. Sometimes my family tells me I wear it too strong, okay? And again, I think it goes back to, to my being raised on a farm and 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 how involved I was in our farm and, and knowing the stress level when things, when pricing wasn't good or when the weather wasn't cooperating. But look, we wear it every single day. We're with our customers. Sometimes we're with our customers multiple times a day. Look, when they're feeling good, we're feeling good. And when they're not feeling good, we're not feeling good. Look, the last week, you know, I, I had one friend that that he had 3,000 acres of soybeans to get out and, and he got hit with two hurricanes and he had to go and put tracks on, on all three of his combines. He went and bought two green buggies that, that had tracks on them and he bought a tractor that was a quad track. You know, he... He probably in, 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 in one decision, he probably spent $600,000, you know, in order to get his crop out. And look, he, he cut all night, several nights. And, and I'd wake up in the middle of the night and text him just to see, I want to make sure he was awake on the harvester. And, uh, no, we live this. We live this and it doesn't, it's not just our agronomists that are sitting on the ground I. It's, it's I know my management team we 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 live it on an hourly and daily basis uh, on it and we want them to do good we 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 want them to do really really good and uh, because it makes it makes a whole world go around when agriculture is going good I think the whole world goes around and uh, and it's it's you know it it's just it's just a tradition in this country and it's a tradition that we should take a lot of pride in because of of how skilled that our producers are uh here on this continent and uh I don't think they get enough credit for that a lot of days
1: I would agree wholeheartedly the competitive spirit of how we are raised of how our country was built um you got to you got to become a champion there's no you know we don't want to give a participation award has been a big talk the last 5 years we you drive by a decoy spread in what I do and you're always like, man, I wonder what they're doing down the road. Hopefully we look better. Hopefully we're moving better. Hopefully we did better this year than our neighbor did. We want to be able to say that we piled them up more. It doesn't make sense. It's, it's not what we're supposed to be in it for is farming. I'm going back to my question on how kids are raised there and work ethic. And, and that's one place where there's not a lot of change is com- competition play a role is it just personal competitiveness between them and their psyche and they want that land to produce the best they can get it or and where does how does nutrient fit into this because you might have you might have the smiths right here on the corner of you know the corner of this place in in, in north dakota or kansas and then right down the road you have the albers family That are growing the same crops they're both nutrient customers are you a cheerleader for both do they meet and shake hands and hope the best for each other or is there ever that sense in a farmer's head of like oh man my land's gonna whip your land's butt this year i don't see that or does that question even make sense
0: no look look and and, you know to to me there's not a more personal community than a farming community and and you know you let somebody get down and and you watch how many pieces of implement show up to help that person get a crop out. And I I know of no industry, no other industry like that. Now to be the best at what you're going to do, you, you got to have a spirit of competition and, uh, and, and, and our growers are very competitive in, in, in my opinion. And, uh, and, and I, you know, I think they do it in fun. I don't think they do it in, in spite or anything like that, but, they're, they're very competitive. And look, I learned from a very, when I first got out of college and and, and got out with BASF and was, was working on farms and calling on people, walking crops, making recommendations at that time, I learned real quickly that that a lot of growers don't want you going to the next farm and telling what they're doing on their farm. And, and I, I learned that the hard way one time uh, with the customer. And uh, I never forgot it. But that's their, that, that, that farm and that crop, that's their work of art, okay? And they don't want anybody to see their canvas until it's done uh, in, in a lot of cases. And uh, now, if they want to call each other and share it, that's great. But I, 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 and I think our agronomists would be the same way. You kind of keep what goes on on this farm separate than that other farm. Uh, on it. And again, if, if they give you permission to talk about what somebody else is doing, then, then you do that. But you also respect the fact that, that, hey, they got trade secrets on each of these farms. And, and look, nobody farms the same way. Uh, uh, we, we have customers that are high, high, high input farms, and they have to have tremendous yields to support the amount of inputs. And we got some that don't farm to the same input level. And maybe their yield requirements are not as high. It, you know, doesn't make it doesn't mean that they both aren't successful from that standpoint. But we respect all of that. And uh, again, I think every day you get up, if you didn't have anything to compete against, uh, it kind of be hard to get up with that same pizzazz and that that same uh, rotor that rotor turning as fast as it would turn or your engine turning as fast as it can turn. I I know in our business. Uh, Look, we, we, we got some great competitors out there that we compete against, and, and I like competing. Uh, and I, I take my hat off when I see one of them do something really good, and uh, I feel really proud The many times a year that I know that we do things in, in an excellent way. So it's, I don't know any industry that would be different than that. I really don't. I love it.
1: If I'm a high school principal or a Ph.D. professor at a college business campus, entrepreneurial spirit of America, business, getting ready to go out into the workforce, per se, Mr. Jeff, and make our own money now. I ask you to come speak to my classes in high school or college and maybe even a master's program, uh, you know, an upper level class or, or or program to where they're getting ready to graduate with a PhD or even, a you know, or a doctorate. What would you say if the question was poised as American money earners, American workforce going out into our the world now in real society, out of mom and dad's roof, out from under it, how do we support the American farmer? What are different ways that we can ensure that we are supporting the American farmer? Is there certain things to look for at the mall at the grocery store? Does it have to say made in America? I don't think it does because we do sell sell to overseas with, you know, with imports and exports and that, that program. How can we support the American farmer, Mr. Jeff, if you were going to give a speech on that?
0: I think primarily the biggest thing that, that that most can do is educate themselves on what the American farmer does. Uh, that's that's the part today that's that that's missing out there. Understand the role that he carries, and understand the importance that it plays, and and understand some of the regulations that 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 come across. It's a very very heavy regulated industry today. And not a lot of people understand the, the regulations that our growers have to work across. So understand the politics of it as well. As, and when you go to vote, uh, uh, understand what, what your politicians stand for and in what way that they support the American farmer as, as well uh, on, on that piece of it. But, but the main thing is ju- just educate yourself to what they do. Look more than likely if you're going in a grocery store you're supporting American farmer every day most of our produce is fresh most of it's coming from this country uh, um, i like to um, i mean if i'm i love fried catfish and if i buy fried catfish i i try to buy it it's got a label that says us raised catfish uh, uh, on it and so i do look for those types of things because i know the care and the time that goes into and how they farm, how they farm uh, and and such. But uh, know, know and teach your kids as well about the role that the American farmer plays and the importance of agriculture and the importance of it on our economy. It's it's huge. Uh, You know, that, that that agricultural sector is a huge part of our economy. That's why when we had this outbreak of COVID in March, that that. Everybody agriculture was deemed an essential business. Uh, I mean, look, that's how we feed people. That That's how we clothe people. And so we took a lot of pride at Nutrient Ag Solutions that 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 our business was deemed an essential business. And, and our people on the front lines, I can't think enough, that, that showed up every single day uh, and had to follow vigorous protocols calls in order to keep themselves safe and to keep our customers safe. And we had to do some things this year that we would have never, ever even thought about doing and prohibiting people coming into our offices. And we'll have to do that this fall as well as we see some spikes taking place. But that's all to make sure that we keep our employees that service our customers well. And even more importantly, we keep our customers well so that they can keep doing the things that, that, that they're doing out there.
1: Man, I don't know i don't know of a better education process back to what we talked about also of what a better way to learn of living off the land and being responsible and taking care of things to where you it's almost like if you get permission on a farmer's land mr jeff one of the things that we stress the most closing gates leaving the land look better than when we got there picking up all of your shotgun holes making sure that everything's put back no littering no trash left out there this is this is the pride in this we don't even own this land but according to the farmers needed, needed Neither do they, even though it is maybe owned a little bit by the bank still, but it is part of their family heirloom or a generational practice? What a just living off the land and being a provider and sustainability! It's so awesome and to live in that every day and be ingrained in it every day with nutrient ag solutions I talked to Greg Mendes and Joe LeBeau out in California in your Hamilton City office and I'm like man every day you get to go out and pat a farmer on the back and give him a cold Pepsi or a cold Coca Cola Classic maybe after 5pm you give him something else if it's that time but they got coolers in their truck and they got hats and decals and bumper stickers and so much lunchbox stickers and hard hat stickers and just everything of this prideful culture of nutrient ag solutions and I mean I can just picture it and, and what i want you to tell me now is kind of on a personal level harvest is getting ready to be done in the south mississippi delta you got the river you got the river rats you got the ducks you got the geese you got whitetail you got turkeys but you also have the fish fries and you have what they call crawfish boils it's into the harvest two times a year mr jeff tarcy is in charge of this nutrient ag solutions party that's getting ready to be a throwdown for his farming communities what is a must for these two types of dinners, Mister Jeff. I've have a lot of discussions out west here, sir, and nobody's really ever gets to experience a real crawfish boil or a real fish fry. Now, what goes in? Let's start with the crawfish boil. What is in that boil? As far as you don't have to give me your, your ingredients of the actual uh, of the actual spices, unless you want. But what's on that table laid out? What makes it an official Mississippi Delta crawfish boil?
0: Well, you got a. Uh you, you've got to have a crawfish table to begin with and, and a crawfish table is is going to be something that's got side panels so the juices don't run off when they're dumped in the middle of the table It's also got a big hole in the middle of the table that a garbage can sits under and so when you you get finished eating your tail and 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 uh, sucking your head you, you put that what's left down in that garbage can so you want to do it in a clean kind of a clean manner so you don't have too big of a mess when you're done but you start off with the louisiana generally speaking a louisiana raised ca- crawfish and that crawfish is coming off some of the, uh, off of those same customers that we sell rice inputs to so they they raise a rice crop and then on the rice stubble the crawfish winter and that's what they feed off of until the spring when the temperatures get warming up actually it seems like they start every year earlier now but some of them start as early as in December now, but January and February, as the temperatures warm up, start catching those crawfish. So you you start with your fresh crawfish, and then you got your you got your lemons and your butter and your your uh, your crab boil and your red cayenne pepper, and then you got to have corn, and you got to have potatoes, and you got to have sausage in that boil as well. And uh, man, it's just a it's just a good time, and it's a good way to, to share with one another, you know, this year, that's part of the toughest thing about 2020 is we haven't been able to gather like that, you know, w- with our producers and, 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 likely this fall will be the, will be the same uh, unless it's, you know, we can really practice social distancing. And again, that's more to try to keep our customers safe, but we'll get over this. We'll get over this, this era and, and we'll be right back where we were. But the, these crawfish bulls are, are a lot of fun, and and on top of that, even more than that, they're damn good to eat. And uh, I can I know me personally, I can sit down and eat ten pounds of them without blinking an eye. I know how to peel them. Uh, when I first started my career, I started in Louisiana, and my my claim to fame down there is I built me a big cooking trailer, and I went around and, and did crawfish boil for growers for grower meetings and. Uh, I'd venture to say that I, I I probably cooked 200,000 pounds of crawfish back in my career uh, as a sales rep in those days with it. But I also cooked a lot of fried catfish. And that's uh, Mississippi-raised uh, catfish, but today we raise it in Mississippi, Louisiana, and Alabama does an exceptional job today as well. But good fried catfish, uh, you know, catfish eat corn and soybeans. Uh, and one of the only, I think, one, one of the only uh, food sources that, on a ratio basis, I think gains almost a one for one ratio. If you feed them a pound, they gain a pound uh, on it. So very efficient in what you feed them. But man, fried catfish and French fries to go with it, and raw onions uh, and hush puppies. Gosh, buddy, I'm, I'm uh, hungry just thinking about it. I am, too. And then, you look, we have a lot of gatherings. When we're able to gather, a lot of gatherings with our customers, where they bring their wildlife. You know, we cook duck breast, and we cook venison. Uh, we cook uh, wild hogs. Uh, you name it. But that's not just in the South. That's, that's everywhere. I've, I've been to Canada and had some of the finest duck I've ever eaten in my life. Uh, up there, and uh, someone told me, I said, Man, the duck is so tender here. And they say, Yeah, it hadn't flown 3,000 miles, <laughs>
1: <laughs> hasn't used their muscles. <laughs> I had I got two questions or actually three based on what you just said one you mentioned suck the heads Now for people that are from where i'm at they probably don't understand what this means But i've been around enough louisianans and mississippians and arkansasans and um, all over the south I call myself the adopted son of the south because i'm very envious of people like yourself that get to spend every day in the south Maybe the summer would wear me out a little bit But I absolutely love the fall and the winter in the southern united states and the southeastern part of our country i'll even love the summer in the gulf shores but where i'm going with this mr jeff tarsi is suck the heads now you're getting that flavor that fat that matter out of where you rip a part of their head off and you go and you just suck all of that goodness out of there that sounds gross to most americans i would imagine what are you doing there and do you do it once every 15 or are you the guy that's doing it on every one
0: well i don't do it on i don't do it on every one and I'd probably be one one close to one to every 15, and, and it just depends on what your tolerance is for heat because if that tail is spicy, then that juice that you're going to get out of that cavity and the lungs and such, that that's going to be about 10x the spice associated with it. So you want to be careful if you've never done it before. You you, you want to do it in an increment there because it, it packs a lot of heat. But... Uh, you know if you get down in south louisiana you got a lot of them down there it's one for one man every one of them that that they peel they 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 do it that way and uh i love to be around a group of folks that i know hadn't eaten crawfish and i i can look real quick and and tell how they're trying to peel them to to be able to know that and you kind of pop that head and, and 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 get the juice out of it and uh you you get a lot of blank stares like what the heck did he just
1: do you know? I, i've been that guy i've been that westerner before back in the day i'm like no you did not but okay now yep. just real quick transitioning to the second part of your your get-togethers in the south with your with your batters and your breadings and your slapio mamas and your tony chasseries and all of the awesome spices that uh, old you know old Bay's more of an eastern shore maryland kind of seafood um rub or spice do you need dipping sauces at a catfish boil? Do you recommend that people have tartar sauce and cocktail
0: sauce, or is that a no-no in the South? Well, for crawfish, absolutely not. Uh, you got to dip that crawfish tail in something. You didn't do something right cooking it. Uh, catfish, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a ketchup guy if I'm eating uh, catfish. Uh, some people like, like tartar I'm not a big tartar sauce fan, but uh, but but I I like ketchup. Uh if you got if you got catfish on the plate and you got hush puppies, they're good in ketchup as well uh with it. But uh, definitely not crawfish. Now if you fried a crawfish tail, you might want to uh dip it in some kind of cocktail sauce. But uh man, there's no better way to eat them than boiled, uh in my opinion. If everything
1: that we just named in your Louisiana Mississippi crawfish boil and your fish fries, 100% of the ingredients in that overall experience is brought to you by the American farmer from the potatoes to the lemons to you name it. The sausages are from a ranch that was raised on some type of crop with their pigs or their hogs or whatever type of sausage it is. It just That is so cool to me that every aspect and now you're actually having a boil. With yourself and a bunch of farmers like that is sustainability that's full circle that is what our country should and will be remembered on in my opinion are you a redneck enough southerner mr jeff Tarcy, that you will do with catfish what these guys called noodling i have not done it i've been challenged to i've been afraid of it for several years now i think it's absolutely the craziest thing that a human being could possibly put their arm through are you a noodler
0: well i'm not i'm not a noodler today i've got a lot of friends that when i was younger that uh they did noodle i've been in the boat while this noodling occurred uh i never liked the opportunity of reaching down there and taking the chance we've got too many water moccasins down here but uh man they, these guys there there's no guys and girls there's no fear uh among the noodling uh uh group out there and that that's amazing to me what they pull out of those stumps and holes and and things like that uh with it but uh i uh i i I was always i I grew up around on, on a rice farm that always had an ample supply of snakes so i was always a little bit nervous when it came to that side of it uh from that perspective
1: I see a football helmet behind you. I assume it's Ole Miss or it's Mississippi State. I can't really make out the logo, but I think the color. It might, is it is it a Mississippi team?
0: I can assure you it's not an Ole Miss helmet. Uh, and my Ole Miss fans won't they, – they won't take that, and my Ole Miss friends won't take that the wrong way. Uh, I'm a Mississippi State guy. Uh, my dad went to Mississippi State. I went to Mississippi State. I put uh, – two kids through Mississippi state and I got one more to put through there. And, uh, dang it. I, I love my university and, and I, I, I love it because it gave me such a good background for agriculture. And and anytime I go over there and I do go over some and speak to the students, uh, I'm always the first to tell them that, that I owe so much to to the school for the agricultural background that, that it gave me in all these schools, no matter who they are, uh, the areas that, 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 that they have expertise in and what they do to get, get our kids ready to go out in the world and, and compete you know, on a global basis, uh, take my hat off to all of them.
1: Well, let's end it on that note, Mr. Jeff Tarsi. If an if a 18-year-old boy or girl hears this and they want to go to the next level, they get all of their, you know, all of their standard credits out of the way. What specialized course is the hot one to get in right now to go into agriculture, farming, what you do, what would you, what, what direction would you aim that student in, in today's society in 2020?
0: Well, first of all, I think you can never go wrong with with getting as much background in financing as you can. It's a high stakes game. Okay. Agriculture is a high stakes game. So understanding financing, uh, to me is is very, very critical. Secondly, don't shy away, but run to technology. Uh, So if you're you're in college and you you got a global positioning type course that you can take, satellite imagery type course, or or just a course that that deals with precision agriculture or or digital as a whole, you know, run and absorb yourself in those courses because that's going to be the future uh, of of agriculture. And then last but not least, don't, don't ever get too far away from plant science. Uh, You know, there, there's so much there to learn plant science and soils and things like that. But, you know, you, you, you can't, you, you can't do it all. I think it's good to have a, a background in a lot of those things I just mentioned, but, but my advice, find you an area that you really like. I mean, that you have a passion for. So if it's finance side of it, then, then go deep dive on the finance side of it. We, we need finance people out there. But if it's if it's the agronomy side of it, or if it's the technology side of it, find what really makes you warm inside. And that's where you need to gravitate to. Because look, you need to love what you're doing. And I tell people this all day long, Me, even people my age, do you, I ask them, do you love what you're doing? If you don't love what you're doing, man, life too short. Go find something that you do love and go do it. That's that's what uh that, that that that's my message. Uh I like to work in agriculture. I'm passionate about it and I'm thankful every day that I work in it. And when I'm not working in agriculture, I like to go and enjoy I I'm, I'm a sportsman myself, an avid outdoorsman sportsman. Uh I love going to walk on my land and look at the turkeys and I like to look at the deer and, and things like that. And, uh, just be appreciative of, of, you know, the environment that we live in and let's all work together to make it better for the next generation.
1: Very well said. And I would also like to take this opportunity to invite myself to be in that truck with you during duck season in arkansas or mississippi or louisiana drive around after a hunt and look at ducks scouting for the next day visiting some of the nutrient farming community customers and friends that you've acquired over your experiences and tenure with the company and brand and then maybe participating in one of these catfish fries or some other type of southern meal it might be biscuits and gravy it might even be what we called fried bologna that we don't see out west very often uh grits are a southern staple i've been able and i'm humbled to say had some of the best that i think could ever be cooked but again i know that there's so many great southern cooks mr jeff thank you so much for your time and i look forward to shaking your hand one day and uh, hunting a duck and eating a catfish and shaking hands with an american farmer and saying thank you
0: thank you buddy i enjoyed
1: i enjoyed you my man that's been mr jeff tarcy nutrient ag solutions please support america's farmers that's exactly how i'm going to leave it today say hello and say thank you to our American farmers. No matter where you're at in this world, they're out there. I appreciate your time, Mr. Jeff Tarsi. Thank you for the partnership, Nutrient Ag Solutions, and Gerber Gear. This is Chad Belding. This has been another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. Tom, hit that button, please. This is 2 a.m. Logic. The song is called My Foul Life. Y'all take care.